This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Today, I have Jen Espinosa Goswami with me, who's here to share her story and weight loss journey. Friends, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. So let me introduce my guest to you all first. So Jen suffered from morbid obesity growing up, but something changed during her college time and she ended up losing actually 100 pounds, which is phenomenal. She's a human potential expert and a holistic coach at Weightless LLC. She's also a member of the National Weight Control Registry, which we talked about last week. So I'm so excited to have her on my show. Welcome, Jen. Thank you, Avishkar. It's great to be here. Yeah, so let's talk about your journey. When did your weight really become an issue for you? That's kind of a funny question because I don't ever remember not being overweight. I was one of those kids. I think the last time I ever wore a bikini, the first and last time was when I was about three years old. And the only reason I know that is because there's photographic evidence. It was an ugly green bikini, but (laughs) (laughs) I've always been pudgy, fluffy, curvy, whatever words you want to use to describe overweight girls. And eventually it got to the point where I was 100 pounds overweight, which qualified me as morbidly obese. And I didn't feel like I suffered from obesity. I was a very active kid, track star, volleyball team. I mean, I spent all my weekends hiking and biking with my family all around the city we lived in. I was very active. So I didn't really feel like I was suffering from being overweight. It was just something that made me different from everyone else. Not many kids were obese when I was growing up. Yeah, and this is so common that we see that a lot of times people who do have obesity, they're so physically active and yet they're having a hard time losing the weight. And yet we have so much of emphasis that is laid on losing weight just by physical activity, which is really not the case. It does play a very pivotal role in anybody's weight loss journey or general health. But you cannot outrun a bad diet. And that's very interesting because I've had a number of other guests also who were very active and yet they were finding it so hard to lose the weight despite being that physically active. So what do you think really caused this? I mean, you've pretty much had this throughout your life, right? So what do you think caused it? Well, you know, I grew up with a family that, you know, were overweight. My mom was overweight. My dad was overweight. But again, it didn't really impact me in the sense of my mom made sure we ate our vegetables every night at dinner time. We ate a lot of home-cooked food. We didn't eat a lot of fast food. But we also were a budgeting family, so coupon clipping, all those sorts of things. So the types of meals we would eat would be ring bologna with scalloped potatoes from a box or mac and cheese with hot dogs, you know, just really low-cost kinds of processed foods. And as soon as I reached 18, I made a declaration that I'm not going to eat anything green. So, (laughs) yeah, clearly I was heading in the right direction, right? But it was kind of, I was traumatized by some of the foods that we ate growing up because my mom's idea of getting veggies on the table was she would open a can of peas or green beans or whatever 
usually something I didn't enjoy eating. And then we would have to finish it before we left the table at the end of the night. And I hated all of those vegetables. I still hate all those vegetables. So <laughs> I found other ways to enjoy vegetables, but that was tough. And my mom did the best she could. You know, she made sure we had home cooked food every night. So I'm not blaming her in any sense. But definitely some of the foods I got used to eating as a kid did impact me as well. Okay. And so what changed really when you went to college? What really made you decide that it was time to change something? And if somebody has had something for their whole life, it really becomes a part of them. It's not something that suddenly changed and makes you feel that there's something wrong there. So what kind of was that moment that made you feel, well, there's something wrong and I need to do something about it? Yeah, well, the aha moment for me or the trigger moment, whatever way you want to refer to it, was when my grandmother passed away, my father's mother. Her name was Grandma Espinosa. I mean, she had her first name was Hilaria Espinosa. She grew up in Texas picking cotton in the cotton fields. She had an eighth grade education and she was a very active, very vivacious, very like a woman you couldn't say no to. And she was a big role model to me. But when I was in my senior year of college, she passed away. She had been struggling with heart disease and some other things in her later years. And that was just the year that she gave up. She was done. And because it was one month away from graduation for me, I felt rather sad. I'm like, okay, she was a great role model to me. What's going to happen to me? Like I saw that every year I was gaining weight. It wasn't a significant amount of weight, 10 pounds here, five pounds there. You know, the things that people tend to gain year after year if they don't keep track of what they're doing. And I wasn't. And projected into the future and said, okay, well, after I graduate college, you know, hopefully I'll get married and I'll have children and maybe I'll have grandchildren someday. Am I going to be able to be physically active? Am I going to be able to play with my kids or my grandkids if I continue to gain weight year after year after year? And I didn't like the future that I saw ahead of me. So I said, okay, I got to do something. And I'm not a diet person. I never was. I never started any diets. I know the average kid starts at 10 years old, some as young as eight years old, if it's a girl. And I never dieted as a kid. So I had to kind of figure out what I needed to do. Yeah, Jennifer, you know, this is interesting. A lot of times people have these certain events in their lives when something happens and something changes, which really motivates them to start losing weight. And the problem is when you come to that point, a lot of times what people try to do is just start eating less and moving more. But in your case, you were already fairly physically active, right? Yes. And a lot of times people are not able to find what they need to do or what they want to do with the right way. So did you have any of those attempts wherein you tried to lose the weight and then you would just try and you would get some success and then you would fail? Any of that happened to you or it was just like a straight shot for you? Yeah, that's a, that's a fun question. It was a one and done situation for me. The first time I tried, I was successful. And I I think it was I was successful because I didn't jump into one of those 30-day diets or the cleanses or the product-based supplementation. I didn't do any of those things. I didn't have the money. And I didn't have any interest in the, you know, two shakes a day or, or whatever, those types of programs. So I was really clear when I started what I didn't want to do. And once you get really clear about what you're not going to do, then those no longer become options for you. So in a way, it made it easier for me to choose what I wanted to do in terms of losing the weight. And for me, it was all about it had to be real food. It had to be food that I would have to learn how to cook or I would enjoy eating. And my whole philosophy was to add more to what I was doing. So I wasn't going to say, oh, no, I cannot eat any sugar. 
I cannot eat any dessert or whatever. I didn't put those don't eat this kind of situations or philosophy in my head because that's when you start focusing on those things. Right. And that was going to be torture. So I said, okay, I'm going to add things that I enjoy eating. And those included a lot of nuts, a lot of whole grains, and a lot of legumes, like beans and lentils, all of those things. I love those things. So I'm like, okay, if I eat more of those foods, which tend to be higher in fiber, then I'm going to be full because I did not want to be hungry all day. And I didn't want to eat salad all day. I consider that rabbit food and it's not <laughs> satiating for me. So I'm like, that's not for me. Like, I'm just not a salad person. I like my food hot and cooked. And and so I had to figure out how to make that work. So for me, it was adding more things that I already enjoyed. Right. So let's talk a little more in detail about how you actually did it and what you added and what you eventually removed from your diet. Well, another guardrail, I guess I could call it. So the guardrail is like my boundaries of what I would allow myself within this new plan. And it shifted every three months or so because I would plateau as it happens. It took me one year to lose 100 pounds. So you would imagine that I had to constantly review what was working and then revise if it wasn't working as well. And another thing, guardrail, that was really important for me in the very beginning, and it actually helped me lose 20 pounds that first month. So I'm like, oh my gosh, this is actually working. I'm going to keep doing this stuff. I didn't drink any calories. So as a 20-something-year-old, I wasn't drinking alcohol. You know, I, I wasn't interested in alcohol at the time. I wasn't drinking any coffee at the time. And so basically, I removed any soda or Kool-Aid because I was drinking Kool-Aid still at the age of 20. (laughs) I removed all of that. And I said, I will only drink water or skim milk at the time. I don't drink milk right now. But those were the two drinks I allowed myself to have. And just by default, that is basically decreasing the amount of calories I had every day. So and I already mentioned the thing about the eating more of the things yeah, I enjoyed yeah, eating. Absolutely. So I was full. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, these are basically whole foods, essentially switching from more processed food diet to a more whole food diet. It really works for a lot of people. So you said you took about a year, right? So that's the other thing that I try to point to people. People try to look for quick results. But like you rightly pointed, a lot of times people will reach a plateau. And then you have to make certain changes to actually get past that plateau. And then you'll hit another plateau. And that's the way your weight loss works. And sometimes you're going to have good weeks and sometimes you're going to have not so good weeks. Sometimes you're going to gain a few pounds back and then you're going to lose some more. So it's not a smooth journey. Whatever your weight loss is initially may not have the same trajectory later on. It's also important to understand, right? Because it does slow down eventually. And then after that, at some point in time, you reach a point where it does not go beyond that. And that's when you start maintaining. So did your strategy change when you lost your 100 pounds? Did your strategy change at that time? You mean in terms of getting into a maintenance mode? Correct. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I think that for me, maintenance was easier than losing the weight. And I know that's very unusual. Not a lot of people say that. But I've been able to maintain now for approximately 20 years. So what I was doing worked for me. And I think it was because I worked the process of it. So I would create awareness around what I was doing. And this is true no matter what age I'm at, what I'm eating, what my current dietary needs are. But I always follow this four-step process. And I work with clients on this as a holistic coach as well. I help them kind of cement that process and make it habitual for them. But the first step in the process is awareness. Okay, so what are you currently doing? What is your baseline of habits? And that's really important because we're not aware, we're not cognizant of our habits because they're unconscious, mostly. Of course, yeah. So once you create that awareness, then you're good to go. And then you can start setting the right goals for you. 
Now, everyone's goals are different depending on where you are. What I was doing when I was 10 pounds away from my goal weight was way different from what I was doing when I was 50 pounds away from my goal weight, as it should be. Your body changes. Our bodies are very adaptable. So you have to be willing to say, okay, I'm going to set the right goal for where I am right now. And it might be different from where I was at three months ago. And that's okay. That's part of it. And then the third step of the process is review. Like, what's actually working? And I think this is where most diet programs out there fail. It's because they set the goals for you, but they don't give you the opportunity to review when you plateau. They're like, oh, you just keep working the process. You keep doing this. You stop eating this or you stop eating that. But they don't allow you to choose and review. Okay, so this is working well for me. I'll keep this. This is not working so well for me. I'm going to throw that out because most programs want you to stay within their program forever. So (laughs) you can't do that always and reach the certain goals that you're looking for. So that review is so important. And then the final step of the process is the most fun one. It's about celebrating, celebrating your small milestones. (laughs) Of course, yeah. You know, like, I mean, non-food rewards, of course, my friends. But, you know, there are many ways you can celebrate your progress. And Getting into the habit of celebrating your progress is going to be one of the biggest things that will help you when it comes to motivation, because other people may or may not notice the changes you're making outwardly, but you can also recognize and celebrate the changes you're making inwardly, and then other people will start to recognize that. So if you give yourself that bump of motivation, it'll keep you going when times are not going so good. Yeah, absolutely. I think goal setting is very critical, like you pointed out, Jen. And actually, I did an episode on goal setting earlier in the year where I talk about how you should set a goal and how you should monitor and gauge the goal. So listeners, if you want to check that episode out, that's episode number 35. So you can go to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash EP35 to check out that episode on goal setting. So let's talk about the National Weight Control Registry, Jen. How did you get involved with that? I don't even think I remember because I joined way back in... I want to say 2008 or 2009. And one of the reasons I personally decided to do that, so the National Weight Control Registry, which your listeners have heard in the previous episode, is studies the habits of people who have lost a significant amount of weight. I think it's an average of 30 pounds and have maintained it over time, most of them between five to 10 years. And for me, it was an accountability because I lost the weight on my own. I wasn't working with a coach. I didn't have an accountability partner. I just did it on my own. And while maintenance was okay for me because I was continuing to do the same process, the four-step process, I knew that eventually, you know, I ended up getting married. I ended up having some children. For your listeners who have ever had a child, you know, there's baby weight to lose. And that's a different challenge entirely because your body is different. So I knew I needed some sort of accountability that was outside of what I did for myself. So outside of my journal, outside of, you know, my family situation. By the way, our family members can be good accountability (laughs) partners, but they might also be poor accountability partners. So anytime you can find a partner that supports you, not just in the good times, but also in the bad times. And for me, I'm very connected to research. I am such a data nerd. I'm a research nerd as a presenter and a motivational speaker. It's important to me to look at peer-reviewed research to quote, legitimate sources of information and the national weight control registry is legitimate and you know (laughs) it's medically based so i'm like that's what i want to be connected to to me it was a part of a community that kept me accountable to what i'm doing because they send me an annual survey so for the past however long many years they've been sending me a survey on my habits 
And they also share information back with me from time to time. And I love when they come up with optional surveys. One year it was on body image. Another year it was on sleep habits. So all of these things tie into it. But I love how cutting edge some of the information is. And if there's any way I can help other people, whether it's sharing with your listeners on the podcast or other events I do, or through research studies, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, no, this is very helpful because it is a huge number of people that they kind of monitor and they've monitored over the years who've actually lost that weight and they've maintained it. It's basically what habits they have as far as the weight loss goes and what has worked for them and kind of seeing if that can work for other people. So that's very fascinating, actually. And we're talking about accountability. So I actually have a Facebook group. So listeners, if you want to join this Facebook group, I wanted to keep it a very close, tight-knit community so that there's a lot of fat shaming that goes around, right? And weight loss, it's a treacherous path. So I really created this community for all my listeners to join and where they can share their stories and share their struggles openly. And we talk openly about obesity and the struggles that we have. Uh, we try and help you find accountability partners. So if listeners, if anybody is interested in joining that, you can go to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash Facebook and join the Decoding Obesity community on Facebook. It's a closed group. I do not allow random people to join in because I want to maintain it as a sacred place for people who are suffering from this disease. So what do you think were the key factors in success for you in your weight loss journey? Are you familiar with Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies quiz? I'm not actually, no. Okay, so Gretchen Rubin is an expert on happiness, if you can believe it. And she's a best-selling author. And she released a quiz called The Four Tendencies. Basically, the four tendencies are how we are motivated. And I fall into the range of the questioner. So what that means is I'm a natural skeptic. I never accept what someone tells me at face value. And so I think what was very important for me in terms of following through on my weight loss goals was it had to make sense to me. It had to be something that I could work and make personal and custom to my situation. So for example, some of the common diets out there like paleo and things like that, I'm like, yeah, right. I'm not going to go paleo because I love beans and they're not allowed to eat beans, you know? So things like that, where other people who like to follow rules and programs and structures, I'm not that person. I need it to make sense for me. And if it doesn't make sense for me, I don't want to have any part of it. Or what I like to do is synchronize. So I'll take bits and pieces of different things that make sense for me and create an entirely new program. So that's why I like to work with people individually, because it has to be personal to you. It has to be something that makes sense for you. And I like to work with people who are not cookie cutter people. They're like, I have a unique situation, whether it's your family situation, your personal situation. I tend to work with people who are rebels and like to do things a different way or they're not as structured. I'm a structured person. If I write down a plan, I'm going to follow my plan. But I tend to work with people who are like, I'm never motivated or I can't follow my plan or I don't know what's wrong. So I work with a lot of different people because I understand that the real trick is to make it personal and custom to you. And if you have failed before in your efforts, it's not because it didn't work for you. It's because it wasn't the right thing for you. So I just want to let everyone out there know there's nothing special about me or other people who have lost weight or Avishkar here. 
there's nothing special about us. It's just that we found what worked for us and we made right. it work for us. So that's the most important yeah, thing. Yeah, no, you know, that's very important. Like when people go to any specialist or an obesity specialist or a coach or whatever, at the end of the day, it's important to understand everybody has a different weight loss journey and everybody has their own individual struggles, unique struggles. They have their own unique trajectory of weight loss. Some people do very well with certain lifestyle change. Some people will require something else. So it's very individualized and it's very important to find that thing that will work for you. Having a cookie cutter approach will most of the people, but it may not work for you. And that's very important to understand. And that's where these diets also stand. All of these fat diets that come and go. Some of them, of course, some of the lifestyle changes do have scientific backing to them. For example, a ketogenic diet or low carb diet, your whole food plant based diet. Some of these diets do have some scientific data to support them. And that's important to understand. But again, it has to be individualized to the patient that's at hand. And so that's very important to understand. But I have a very interesting question for you. So do you still have food cravings? And how do you manage those food cravings? So I'm an emotional eater. And cravings for me come up when I'm stressed, when I'm bored, when I'm angry, those types of things. So what I've figured out over the years of maintenance is how to deal with those things. And things that don't involve food. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. It's not about being perfect or never doing something that you might regret later on. <laughs> I still eat ice cream. I still eat pizza. You know, those <laughs> things are not scary to me. They're not evil to me. Food is neither good nor bad to me. It just is. But as an emotional eater, there are certain moments in my life where I have to be cautious and I have to pay attention. So I like to use mindset practices like meditation, journaling, distraction works really well. <laughs> if you're hungry and you're having a craving for a certain food, don't stay in the kitchen, you know, exit the kitchen, find a different place to be. I am very physically motivated. So if I exercise consistently, that's my number one way to manage stress, especially during the pandemic and sheltering right. in. I need to get out of my house. I need to be alone. I need to be outside. So those are things that I've turned to when I do have food cravings, or sometimes I just say, I'm going to eat that darn thing and I'm going to love the heck out of it and savor every moment because life is meant to be savored. Yeah, and I'm all yeah. about like <laughs> just enjoying yourself. And sometimes that means you have a glass of wine or sometimes that means you eat that dessert. You know, that's okay. It's not about guilt. Yeah, but no, that's very true. And I did an episode on the USDA guidelines. And is there something that I really liked about the guidelines was the 85-15 rule. So they talk about the fact that 85% of the times if you're eating healthy and 15% of the times you give yourself a break and you're allowed to splurge or whatever, I think that's a good general rule to start with. Of course, you want to aim for a higher proportion of healthier food and a lower proportion of the unhealthy foods. But I think that's a good place to start. And that gives you some leeway and that gives you some room to kind of splurge on your calories or splurge on your foods that you're eating. So yeah, that's very true. So, you know, you told us about your least favorite healthy foods, the, the canned beans and whatever, I guess they quote-unquote scarred you. <laughs> but what about your favorite Those are the foods? only foods that are evil, are canned <laughs> vegetables. They're evil. <laughs> so what do you enjoy? Oh my goodness. So I love a lot of things. Lately, I've been approaching more of the plant-based eating lifestyle. So last January, I pledged for Veganuary, which is all you know, going vegan for the entire month of January. And it did not work out with my family. My family is not vegan friendly. <laughs> I have two children and a husband. My husband would do it in a moment, but my children not so much. Right. So I do appreciate eating more plant-based foods. So vegetarian, I'm mostly dairy-free. I do still have butter and some other things occasionally, but I don't drink dairy milk and things like that. So 
I like a lot of different things. I like things that I can make at home. I use my air fryer a lot. I use baking sheets a lot. So like cookie sheets, I make sheet pan meals. I throw all my vegetables, all my protein on there. I season it. I bake it and it's done. Dinner is ready. And there's very little to clean up. I love to play around in the kitchen. Lately, I've been exploring a lot of vegan baking recipes because I'm a big baker. My teenage daughter is actually award-winning baker for her cupcakes. So I've been baking with my children since they were about two years old. It's something we enjoy doing as a family together. And I like to explore different ways of doing the same thing. So maybe taking a recipe I love from my childhood, but adding more vegetables or adding making the sauce from scratch as opposed to opening up a can. Making a baked good that I used to make with eggs and milk, but now I'm going to find other ways of making it. So I love to shake it up and be creative in the kitchen. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I think working in the kitchen is really important when you're trying to eat healthy because when you're trying to control the ingredients, it's so important to have that complete control. At least that's the way I feel that I always kind of nod. I don't know what's going on in those meals that you get in the market. So I would just rather cook myself. I know it's very tedious, but I think it's something to keep in mind. It's trying to cook. And really, a lot of times people are scared of cooking because of it's tedious. It looks complicated, but really it's not that complicated. And you can start simple and really make simple good meals, which can be very filling. So what would be your top three recommendations before we close? I think we're going to close very soon. So what would be your top three recommendations to eating well? My top three recommendations to eating well... I am not a big fan of going cold turkey. So there are a lot of articles and advice out there telling you to go cold turkey with whatever. Quit sugar entirely. Don't eat any carbs or very low carbs. Those plans that are very extreme, like don't have any of this or don't have any of that. That never would have worked for me personally. I know for a very small percentage of people, like going completely cold turkey and whatever free, like sugar free, fat free, whatever you want to call it. The free lifestyle, it's not very freeing. It doesn't provide much freedom. So for me personally, that never would have worked and it wouldn't have been a sustainable lifestyle for me. So if you're a person who's like gets nervous at the thought of giving something up for the rest of your life, then you're probably someone who shouldn't try a cold turkey approach to whatever lifestyle changes you're trying to make. So that's my number one recommendation. Again, the one thing that was really pivotal for me was not drinking my calories. Now I'm a woman in my 40s. So, you know, I have a lot of friends who are like, oh my gosh, you don't want me to drink my glass of wine every night or I can't have beer anymore. Hey, everything in moderation, but like what worked for me, I prefer to use my teeth instead of, you know, drink something. So I'm like, I'd rather eat than drink. And that's what works for me. So if you can avoid drinking your calories, just have more water, make your water fun with some fruit or some carbonation, you know, whatever works for you. Right. If you don't drink those calories, then you have way more leeway to eat dessert. And then, <laughs> <laughs> the last recommendation is to cook. I think Michael Pollan was the one who said it. Yeah. <laughs> he writes a lot about this, but like we yeah. spend more time watching people cook on TV then we actually cook in our own homes. That's true, yeah. <laughs> and that's not just a disservice to us personally for our lifestyle goals, but it's also a disservice to our younger generation, our kids, because they consequently don't know how to cook. Right. And they will turn to the processed foods or the meal delivery or the packaged items because they don't know how to cook because they never saw you cook. So those things are super important. And like you said, Avishkar, you can control 
what you put in your food when you're cooking it. You know, there's no second guessing. If there's a certain oil you like versus a different oil, you get to make that choice. And I love trying different cuisines. My husband's from India, so we eat a lot of curry in my house, but I'm Hispanic, so I love taco night. You know, I think it's a really great thing to explore different cuisines so that you can kind of get a hand for what those spices can do for you. Spices are very beneficial for many right, things, yeah. mm -hmm. but they can also help you control your appetite too. So don't hesitate to explore. It's such a fun thing to do. Yeah, no, that's so true. Yeah, I, I love cooking, so I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, foodies and unite. <laughs> so, Jen, how can people find you? My digital home is weightlesschronicles.com. That's not weight loss. It's weightlesschronicles.com. And you can also connect with me on Facebook, Instagram. I have a YouTube channel with many videos on cooking at home home fitness and mindset work because, you know, if you don't get your mind right, your body has a hard time following. That's true. And I'm going to be leaving all the links for your social media and your website on my show notes as well. Listeners, don't forget to drop in a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't yet joined our amazing Facebook communities, head on over to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash Facebook and sign up for that. That's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Jen, for sharing your story. And thank you everyone for listening in. I'll see you all next time. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.